Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the, the pastor here at Ridgeview, and we're so glad that you decided to join us. Today, we are launching a brand new series called Here is the Church, and we're looking at the purpose of the church in the world. And if you're like me, you may regularly look at the news, uh, whether you're watching it on TV or on your phone and you're reading it, and it's really easy very early on to be discouraged by what we see. Uh, Even this morning, I just took a screenshot of a couple of websites and the headlines, and there were things uh, raging from puppies being stolen, violence on the rise, election craziness and conflict, uh, all sorts of things that before you know it, you really are dragged down. But in the middle of all this, uh, we're, we're kind of faced with this question, what do we do in a world where it seems like things are somewhat falling apart? And this has actually always been the case. Wherever like the generation you're from or the season that you live in, there's things that are always unraveling. They could be in our community, in our society as a large, but also in our individual lives, uh, in our families, with those that we love. There's always a sense that things are unraveling. We always are trying to figure out how do we kind of wind things back up. And so in this series, we're actually going to look at what is the role that the church does play uh, in the middle of all that's happening around us. And our hope is that this will give you a sense of what the Bible says and then how you can be a part of this movement of the church. And so today I hope to give a backdrop of the blueprint of the church, uh, but also just some steps for you to be able to, to get involved. And so let's dig in. If I was to ask you a question, and what is it that the world needs, and I was going to ask it like this, all you need is, or all we need is, what would you say? All you need is, what? Well, if you are a fan of the Beatles, you might say, all you need is, everyone answer it, love. Here's a picture of, of their album cover. It's interesting. At our core, there's a sense that we know we need something. Uh, we need something to, to face life. We need something that deals with, with these problems. And so I just began to search different images of what is it that we need. So I just typed in Google, all you need is, and the first one, of course, was all you need is, is love. The concept of love is something that we, we all understand. You may have answered that already, but even love uh, can be somewhat ambiguous. Like, what does that, that mean? Is it a, a feeling that we have towards people? Is it an action? Is it a mixture of, of both? How do you get it? How do you know if... if you're actually showing love to people or they're showing love to you. So it's somewhat hard to understand what that really means. Then I begin to just search a little deeper. Here were some fun things I found. All you need is love, first one. Second, all you need is love and tacos. So now we start getting into love is really good. It's really important. But then if you have this as well, this is an added bonus. All you need is love and coffee. So some of you, you love the tacos. Some of you, you love coffee. Some of you, you may love both. Uh, Here's some more. All you need is a passport. So now we've dropped love and all you need is the ability to travel wherever you want to go. That will solve your problems. Certainly that can appeal to us, the sense of we can maybe escape what's going on. Here's another one. All you need is less. So maybe the problem is we've just got too much materialism or maybe we have too many problems and we just need less of all of it. But whether you answer all you need is love or all you need is tacos or all you need is coffee or all you need is less, again, there's a sense in us that we want to solve our problems. 
In fact, because we're made in the image of God, there's a certain nobility that we have as humans to solve problems, that we, we see issues, we want to, to figure out how we can undo them. Again, how we can maybe wind up things that begin to unravel. And in, in, my, in my day, just as I've just experienced life, the two things that I've always seen people going towards are these. The first is, we can solve the world's problems by education. Here's a quote by Nelson Mandela. It says, education is the most powerful weapon we can use to change the world. And the thought is just if we're ignorant or we don't know history or we don't know maybe the the intricacies of the problems we face, we just have a lack of knowledge, there's very little we can do. And we hear as young people, knowledge is what? Power. So the more we know, the more it can help. The issue though with education is there's sometimes we can be very educated but still have very little understanding of how to put that education into action. Sometimes we could be filled with knowledge but again, lack wisdom of how to apply it. So that's the first thing. We tend to solve our problems by looking at education. We just need to know more. The second is is politics. There's always a sense, and we're kind of going to be entering this election cycle. Again, the headlines are full of all the different buzz and happening with the election. But the idea is through our vote and through our voice, we can make a difference. In fact, voting is something that is so important. It's a a power that that we have been given in this country to freely vote in a way that matches our perspective, our ideals, our worldview, and we want to vote in that way. But even as we vote, and you can check out that image there, we want to change the future, we want to step up our voice, you can see those. Sometimes as you you vote, you you wonder, does, does this really make a difference? Is this really a way that I'm changing the world? But certainly we should keep getting educated and certainly we should still exercise our right to vote. Those are crucial, a part of of our country, a part of our society. But in this series, I hope to, to give just a little bit more of a sense of what we can do in our own context as we relate to those around us. And then as a church, what do we do as people coming together, Ridgeview Church, how, how do we make a difference? And so I want to kind of start by giving the backdrop of of where we tend to look uh, for hope. And I believe it's in two places. Again, the reason we want to solve our problems is because we actually want to be filled with hope. We're made to have meaning. That's how God made us. We're made to have purpose. There's a sense that this life is a gift that we've been given. We, We want to make the most of it. I think that resonates with every single one of us, no matter where you're from no matter what you face, no matter if you're old, no matter if you're young, no matter who you are, that meaning, that purpose, that hopefulness, this is what we want to see in our world. That's what we want to see in our families. That's what we want to see in our own lives. And so how do we find it? Well, I want to just give kind of two approaches. The first is we tend to find our hope and meaning in creation. This is the the systems that we make. We tend to try to find our hope and to solve our problems in man-made systems. We try to find hope and meaning in in ourselves, just us being humans. And we've talked about that recently. How do we do do that? Well, we look again at education or we look at our community and the infrastructures and all those are important. We need to build an important society. But systems can, can fail us. A people can fail us. And then we sometimes even just try to find hope and meaning in ourselves. We try to do better, do more right than wrong. 
We try to live in a way where we're loving those around us. Again, that all you need is love and we want to live like that. And we should. We should be kind. We should exercise generosity. These are things that, again, I think all of us would agree. There's this moral framework that we've been given. But again, we tend to look for hope in creation, the systems in which we built. Sometimes we just want to find hope and meaning in nature. We want to get out of the indoors, get outdoors. And it's like a sense of, wow, this is so refreshing. And I enjoy all those things too. But again, there's something that's lacking in our hope and in our meaning when we just focus it on creation. Again, because we're not really meant to find the hope and meaning in ourselves. There's something bigger that's going on. And that's the second way we find hope. The second way we find hope is not in creation, but in the creator, God himself. God is the one who's made us. He knows how we're wired And this isn't just in a general sense. He knows you intimately and exactly, exactly who you are, your personality. He knows the number of hairs on your head. I talk to my kids all the time and they wonder, do you think he knows the exact number? Well, the Bible says he he does. He knows us in a way that that no one can. He he knows what what makes us unique. He, He knows what motivates us. Because he made us. He made all of us. We're made in his image. That's where that purpose and that that meaning comes from. So in this series, we're looking at not how do we find hope and meaning in creation, in the things that we've made, but how do we find it in the creator, God himself? And how does the church work together to point people back to him? And so every week of this series, here is the church. We want to paint this picture. Here's the church and here's the role that we play. And we want to help people who've been just trying to find hope and meaning in the creation to look up, see that there's hope and meaning and purpose in the creator. But let's diagnose uh, the reason why sometimes we, we just, we don't want to look up to God for help. And again, there, there's a problem that we have. So let's dig in. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians today, and I'm going to kind of unpack our our problem, uh, why we tend to look down here and not up to the Lord for help, and why we can get frustrated. Uh, Why do we just lack this sense of greater purpose for our lives? So so let's dig into Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and it begins with a diagnosis of of our problem, and it's verse 1. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you may wonder, why is all that's happening in the world going on? Why why does it seem like there is uh, so much evil and pain and suffering? Well, at the core of it is we are in a broken and in a fallen world. And at the root of it is sin. It's the fact that, that we're lost. We are people walking aimlessly. This picture of like the walking dead spiritually, we're like zombies where we're not really alive. We seem like we are, but we're walking around and we're, we're blind to spiritual things. That blindness means that although God is the one who's given us meaning and he's the one that's created us for a purpose to go in a certain direction towards him, the scriptures are telling us here that, that we're just walking blindly. 
We're following our own passions. We're following what makes sense to us, irregardless of what God says. And that's what rebellion is. If you've been a parent and you, you know you're trying to train your kids, there's a sense in which they just get in a point in time where they just look at you and decide, I'm not going to do what you say. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. And as a parent, you just can be so overwhelmed, like, what do I do with this rebellion? And that's something that you actually need to train out of your kids. But we actually do the same with God. He tells us this is the right way. This is what pleases him. And we just look at God and say, you know what, though? I have an agenda. I have an idea of what's best for me. And I'm going to do it. And that's us looking for hope in creation, looking for hope in ourselves. And so the scripture is saying, like, that makes us dead spiritually. We're just blindly walking, following the crowds, moving to what feels good. And that just leads to more and more emptiness, more and more lack of real direction for our lives. And so that, that, that's the problem. The good news is God has offered the solution. Again, we keep talking about problem solution because so many of us see the world going on right now and it's so easy to be overwhelmed. But the scriptures have pinpointed what's happening. And at the core, it's just people trying to find strength in themselves outside of God. And God keeps calling to us and he wants to use the church to kind of be this light to the world saying, you don't have to keep walking blindly. There there is hope for you. And this sin problem isn't just something that we face in our lives and it doesn't impact others. Have you noticed that our attitudes and our actions, they impact those that we love dearly? The people that we love and, and we respect, we can still treat badly. We can say things that we shouldn't say. We can do things that we shouldn't do. We want to build bridges to people, but with our words and actions, we end up blowing them up at the same time. Have you realized that? It's so easy to get in that mode. Recently, we just wrapped up. My wife and I, we hosted a a marriage group here at Ridgeview. And these groups are such a helpful way to talk about how do we we grow. And, And in this marriage group, we went through the book Love and Respect. And I highly recommend it. But he talked about this this crazy cycle. And the crazy cycle is this. Women long to be loved and men long to be respected. What tends to happen in most marriages is that men fail to love their wives. And because the wives don't feel loved, they don't want to respect their husbands. And because the husbands don't feel respected, they don't want to love their wives. And you see this crazy cycle continue because the husband doesn't feel loved or respected, sorry, he doesn't love because the wife doesn't feel loved, she doesn't respect. And the two are just kind of eating each other alive. And that's what happens in all of our relationships. There's something that we want from this person for them to do to us, for them to say, for them to come through, and they don't. And so we hold back from them. And because we hold back from them, they hold back from us. This crazy cycle exists in all of our relationships. And in this this chapter in in Ephesians, that's what Paul is saying, is we're, we're all this dead in the trespasses of our sins. We're just following blindly, hoping somebody will come through. But it's not us, because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And so all of us, the whole human race is just kind of following blindly, looking for an answer. But again, the good news is, no matter the, the bridges that we may blow up, or the pain that we have experienced or we've caused, the story doesn't have to be over. In fact, there is hope. And that's where we can turn to hope in the Creator. And here's what it says in Ephesians 2, 
4 through 9. Continues, but God, so here's the problem, following blindly, following the passions of our, of our lives, what we long for, but just try to find in ourselves. The scriptures say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So again, spiritually dead. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse six, in Christ, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Then again, for by grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." I love this scripture because it just so plainly states that if you want to experience grace and the richness of life and meaning and purpose, there's nothing in ourselves that can do that. Now, it may be short term, we can solve problems, we can try to fix things, but ultimately the real issue is a spiritual issue. And because we're spiritually dead, There's nothing we can do to make us alive because we're dead. We can't do anything. But the scripture is saying, but God, as you look to him, the creator, he makes us alive. He makes us alive and then he gives us meaning because now we're alive and we're looking to him, our creator. In those passages, it's amazing to see just the grace described, the kindness, the richness being these people spiritually dead, looking just in ourselves to solve our problems. And then God's saying, look to me. I will make you alive and give you what you have been longing for. And I think these verses answer some really important questions. The first is, what's the the purpose of of him making us alive? Well, it says that that he may show us. So again, it's kind of like we're, We're blind, we can't see. And then now you turn to God through Christ. You invite Jesus to lead your life. You accept him as your boss. You follow him. You now can see for the first time. So now you can see he wants to show you some things. What what does he want to show us? Well, according to the scriptures, he wants to to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Immeasurable. There are so many riches that he gives us. You can't even count them. You can't fathom them. In a society right now where we're longing for good news, don't turn into the news for good news. You want to turn to the scriptures for good news because there's immeasurable riches that you have been given when you decide to follow Jesus. You cannot count them and they will bless your life. You also have meaning and purpose because you're alive and then your life has now been Redeemed. As you were just walking, we all were just dead in our sins, blindly following. We've now been made alive. Our life has been redeemed. It can count for something. So that's the purpose. We're made alive. And now we see things differently. And how does he show it? Well, that's what this series is all about. God is raising up from death to life people who are his followers that band together to form the church. And it's through this church 
And it's through the church that God wants to make a difference in our world. And so here's God's blueprint. How does this work together? Well, there's groups of people spiritually dead. They turn to God and say, you know what, God, I want to follow you. I want to look back to you as my creator. And then he forms those people to band together in units called the church. And you see churches around our communities, around our country, and around the world. These churches are part of God's blueprint to transform and change the world. In fact, the church is God's beacon of hope to all who are watching. Now, a beacon is is like a lighthouse. It's something that sits in a strategic place so that if you can't see, especially like ships at night, these lighthouses would, would flash and let them know, okay, this is where land is. I may be lost at sea, have no idea of direction, but I can see that beacon and I can set the sails and the direction to that place where I know safety is and where I know direction is. And that's what, what the church is. We are here to exist as a group of people who shine a light, this beacon that just magnifies all around us. It's not about us as the church itself, but about look to your creator the meaning and purpose, the grace, the kindness, the things that you cannot measure, the things that you've been looking for, it can be found in Christ Jesus. And so that's the blueprint of God's redemptive work in the world. He sent his son Jesus to save us, to allow us to be alive, to see for the first time. And he uses the church to repeat that message in every age and to repeat that message and to point to the hope and to repeat that message and to point to the hope. This is why we exist. And what's this message? Well, let's look in a little bit further in Ephesians. Now, I'm backing up to Ephesians 1 verse 7, and it says this, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Again, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so it starts with, we have redemption. Again, the cost of our rebellion is is death, spiritual death. But Jesus came to redeem us and he paid the penalty of our sin. This payment that was needed for our rebellion was actually the life of Christ, his payment. He was the pure sacrifice that we needed to pay for our sins. And in him, we have this redemption. And then you see that as we've been redeemed, we've been lavished with this wisdom and insight from God himself. And then the scriptures talks about this mystery. And this mystery is insight into what he wants to do in the church. And if you fast forward to chapter three, verse six, it says this, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, the partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So it's very interesting. We're here as a church to proclaim the redemption for what we need. The payment of our sins is found in Christ, not in our own good works, not in any system, not that anyone else can do for us except for Jesus Christ. 
But then notice that part of that mystery is that the things that are divided, the things that separate us, the things that cause conflict, the mystery is that the people who seemed could have nothing to do with each other, who have nothing in common, whose values and perspectives are completely different in the church, as you gather under the name of Jesus Christ, you can be unified. And I love that the scripture is speaking to here and now. There's a sense of a unity that we can have and a purpose that we can have together as a group of people that you cannot find in any other group or system outside of the church. The church, again, is this beacon of hope that has a role unique to any other group that exists because it's what Jesus came to form through his followers, through him dying on the cross, to expand his mission so all could find this redemption. And so the mystery is these Jews and Gentiles who have completely different values, the Jews are God's people, the promise all would be saved were going to come from the nation of Israel, Jesus himself. But it wasn't just for the nation of Israel to experience. It was that all could be saved through Christ. And that's the mystery. Although our divisions can be great, our conflicts can be great, our problems can be great, the mystery is this. There's something that God does through his people that you can't find anywhere else. Divisions can become untangled. Misunderstandings, bitterness, anger, the things that we see through Christ and the grace and the kindness which we cannot measure, it actually transforms us. It doesn't transform us just as individuals. It transforms us as groups of people. So the picture that Paul is writing here is he's given this noble role to the church to show the world something that they will not see anywhere else. A group of people that love each other differently, that have hope, that have meaning, that have purpose, that can't be found anywhere else. And so there is something magnificent that God wants to do through the church. And let's read a little bit more about that. Let's go to chapter three, verse seven. This is Paul talking and he says, of this gospel, this good news, Jesus saves, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So again, Paul is saying, this is not about me. This is not about creation. This isn't about all that I have, all that I understand, the knowledge that I have. Even though he had all the credentials of his education, he was a formidable Jew that that, stacked up against anyone else in his day. But he's saying, it's the grace of God that made me who I am. And this grace is given to me that I can share the hope in Jesus to the entire world, to the Gentile nation, so that if you're not Jewish, that's us, the Gentiles, that we could know Jesus. So Paul's saying, it's by God's grace that I I can be a part of this. And he's giving this vision, it's by God's grace that that you can be a part of this. And he continues in verse nine. And to bring, check this out, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according 
to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, these verses are packed full of meaning. But if you kind of paid attention there to that, that last part, there's this eternal purpose that God has unleashed through the church. It's this cosmic plan of redemption. And again, it's the church banding together to say the grace of God has been given to us and we now can see. And because we can see, we can see things that when you're spiritually dead and you're spiritually blind, you can't see. So the church is here to say, there are things that you long for that you can't see, that if you turn to Jesus, your eyes will be open and now you will be able to see. And Paul describes them. What are they? Well, in verse seven, he talks about God's grace. You don't experience God's grace unless you turn to him and accept Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin. Now, all of us have actually been given God's grace in that every morning we wake up, there's grace of God that there's this mercy. We have breath again. He chose to give us another day. That's an extension of his grace. But the grace of being saved and realizing this redemption, that comes when we surrender our life fully to Jesus. And when we do that, we get grace and we we get power. And that's what he describes in verse eight. He he describes these riches again. And in verse 9, the power and the light. All the world around us is darkness. But when you choose to follow Christ, you now band together with other followers of Christ saying, we have been given this light. And we want to point you to Jesus Christ so you can experience it as well. And then verse 10, he describes this wisdom that you can be given. This understanding of how life works, what to do, what not to do. Very specifically, the Bible speaks to the arenas of life, how to handle ourselves. And we'll have great success if we follow, again, the Creator and His ways, according to the Scripture. Great wisdom. And then in verse 11, there's this eternal purpose. There's something now that we tap into. Again, the Creator gives us our design. And we now look at how we're made. We know how to function. We know what to do. It doesn't mean all the problems dissipate. It means in the middle of it all, In the middle of the confusion, God's wisdom and power and grace and light is known to us. Now, if if you've grown up in the church, it's so easy to hear these words and they just kind of roll off. Like, yeah, isn't that great? And if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, this can seem like, well, that seems kind of far-fetched. And so what what Paul is doing is he keeps talking about these riches and this this sense, again, it goes back to that, it's immeasurable, like you can't fathom it, but you have to pause, you have to stop. And I just encourage us right now to just think, look at what we've described so far. There's all these problems. And when we look into creation, we long for understanding and we don't have it. We long for light and we're still in the darkness. And what Paul is saying is, church, pay attention. Church, pay attention. The people of God, pay attention. You have what the world needs. You have the meaning that they long for, the purpose, the light, the direction, the grace, the kindness, the riches of God. Stop, think, reflect on that. This is his blueprint for changing the world. The church has what we all need need. Amen. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us. So Paul just wants to be 
filled with this just understanding of what hope we have and then how we can be a part of God changing the world. Now, I want you to think for a moment, maybe a group that that you've been a part of in, in your past, maybe when you were in high school or in college, you were part of a team and you've experienced kind of this, this teamwork and a group banding together and it made a difference on your life. Or you're a part of a club or maybe even your family. Or you were a part of just something where it was a group of people coming together and you kind of experienced a little bit of this, this, this purpose, this meaning. If you were in college and you were a part of a fraternity or sorority, certainly they kind of try to tap into this sense of you're a part of a brotherhood or a sisterhood. But those things fade. They usually are for a season of life. But what Paul is saying is that there's the eternal purpose of God. There's something that's going on that's existed from the beginning of time, God's plan of redemption. Not just him himself from afar solving our problems, but using us, his people, his followers, to be part of this plan, to shine his light. This is this eternal thing that's been going on before we were born and will exist after we're born, and it goes on forever into eternity. The fact that God wants to use his creation. It's so fascinating if you think about how backwards it is to our own understanding. God makes us, and he made us, And we want nothing to do with him. That's what sin is. Yet the creator who has all the power and all the right to say, I want nothing to do with you because of what you've done to me, he keeps pursuing us. And so the creator keeps coming back to the creation. And he gathers the creation together in the church and say, you have what they need. That's my blueprint. I want you to obey me, to follow me, and invite people to be a part of it. It's a beautiful picture. And so in this series... I've given you a little bit today of of the blueprint, but we're going to just look every week at, well, what does that mean for us? And certainly we're all at different places. Some of you may be new to Ridgeview, and I hope this series will give you a sense of what we're all about. Some of you may have been a part of Ridgeview for a long time, and you were taking steps forward, COVID hit, and now you're you're kind of just at home isolated in in your own world. And I hope this series gives you a sense, here's how you can step back in. There's some of you who are fully committed. You're all in to Ridgeview. You said, this is the church that I want to be a part of. And I hope this gives you a sense of what you do and how it makes such a difference. And so wherever you are, this series is designed to give you backdrop principles, what the Bible says, and then these steps that you can take. So let's preview where we're going to be headed the next few weeks. Here's the church, here's the church series preview. Uh, today, August 9th, Blueprint, what I've been talking about. Next week, August 16th, the question, why bother? Out of all the options we have to give our resources to, to give our time, our strength, just our energy towards, why bother with the church? We'll talk about that next week. August 23rd, a kingdom colony. What's the makeup of of our church and what it's supposed to do? August 30th, uh, directives. What's God told us to do and and then how do we do it? September 6th. Uh, grace and gifts. How has God wired us specifically to make a difference in the church and to work together to do that? And then we'll close out the series on September 13th, talking about united. And certainly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians is, is this division that exists? There's a unity that God gives in the church. And this unity is something that's supposed to get people's attention. Again, to all who are watching. Wow, that, that church is unified. And so we'll end the series talking about how, how do we actually fight this. In closing, I want to just give you some perspective that that I'm going to kind of carry on 
uh, through these next few weeks weaved in to each message. And it's this. All of us long for meaning and we long for purpose. That's why we're made. I think all of us long for community, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I hope more than anything in this series, you'll get a sense of not only your need for community, but how you can help build it. Because I think all of us long for it. We want it. But God has put you in a role where he wants you to help build it. And he wants you to help build it at Ridgeview Church. And so I hope this just motivates you to give a sense like, I want to be a part of this beacon of light in the cities in which we live so I can be a part of God's redemptive, eternal plan uh, to change the world. So as I close out, with that in mind, I want to give you uh, some next steps. Here's the first. Cross the ridge. Uh, We have an acrostic. Our name is Ridgeview Church, so we kind of use this as just a helpful reminder. But ridge, here's some steps you can take that will help you grow. And I want you to engage at your own pace. Don't feel guilty or pressure, but know that that you need to engage. You got to move from being checked out or maybe just from a toe in the water, maybe get your your foot in the water. If your foot's in the water, get your leg in the water. It says you have to keep moving forward. And so here's some steps. This is our strategy to help you grow. The first is regularly attend, regularly tune in to what we're doing here at Ridgeview. That could be watching the service. That could be coming to our Ridgeview at the parks. Uh, Again, at your own pace, but regularly be a part. It's hard to be a part of what God's doing if we're not there. The second, invest and invite. This is invest in relationships. Uh, Take initiative uh, with people. If you're going to watch the service as a family, one thing you can do is think of a family at church and invite them over. Right? Scary, right? Like invite people to my house? Yeah. Take initiative. Make an investment. And invite. It could be your neighbors. It could be your friends, family. Invite them over to watch the service. Invite them to Ridgeview at the park. I encourage you to do that. The third, develop my life through learning. Part of that is take these next steps that we encourage. It's like, I want to keep learning. I want to keep digging into the scriptures for myself. I want to be a part of workshops and and the different things that Ridgeview does so I can continue to learn. That's how you'll grow. The other is group with others. That's the G. In September, we're going to be launching some new groups. I encourage you. You can pull into the church and be a part of this community as you get in these small groups. It helps you build relationships. It helps you grow. gives you a sense of, wow, this is a group that I can be a part of. And then the last is just engage by serving. Certainly, serving has looked differently at Ridgeview the last few months because we went from a Sunday gathering to just meeting online. But there is so many opportunities to serve and we'll continue to to kind of lay those out so you can decide like, yeah, I want to help with that or I want to help with this. And so just decide, I want to help serve. I want to give back. And then the second next step is just attend Exploring Ridgeview class, which is coming up on September 13th. Our Exploring Ridgeview classes are designed to give you a sense of how you can learn more about Ridgeview and then how you can commit to membership. Membership at Ridgeview is is saying, I make a commitment to helping Ridgeview grow, to help build it. And it's, it's, it's formal because out of our commitments, that's, that's actually how we grow. And so if you're interested, we have a preview class and that just gives you a sense of who we are, where we're headed and how you can be involved. So on your connection card, if you've not yet filled that out, 
you can just check that and we'll get back to you with, with some details for that, but that's coming up next month. And then the last next step is just come back for the rest of the series. Listen to just what the Bible says about the church, the role that we have, and then how you can be a part. So I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I'm so excited to see what God does through our church, and I'm so glad that you decided to tune in. Let's pray and really ask God over the next few weeks to really unify us as a church and just give us a new sense of the difference that we can make. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your eternal redemptive plan through Christ to redeem us and then also through the church to be this beacon and a light of hope. God, will you give us eyes to see those who are blindly following, that are in, you know, in need of help and in meaning and, and purpose. And, and God, just give us the courage to say it's found in Jesus. And God, also help us just to engage at our own pace for people that are just unsure of what to do, how to do it, how to get involved in this season. It's so easy to be paralyzed. Will you just give us a sense of our next step, how we can move forward? to being a part of this church and to being part of of your redemptive plan. So thank you for guiding us forward. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.